Thank you for downloading this Downtown Hope Sermon Podcast. We're a faith-based community in the city of Annapolis, Maryland, orienting our lives around Jesus and exist to see the people of our city, region, and world thrive with the hope found in His gospel. Now, please enjoy the Sermon Podcast. What a gift it is to gather together in the second week of Advent as a church. As you can see, uh, we're in a series called The Invitation, a story of hope and exile, and we're looking, uh, we're following the common lectionary with our brothers and sisters around the world, and you can catch that with us through the daily. It's a great discipleship resource that we have that comes to your inbox Monday through Friday. Uh, you can sign up for that online, and we're looking um, through uh, really some of the prophecies of Isaiah uh, these four weeks leading up to Christmas. And uh, last week, David kicked off our series in the series, and we're going to spend a few walking through that. So I want to uh, just read this passage, read these verses, and then we'll dive in together. Isaiah chapter 11, <clears throat> starting in verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for all the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea." In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him, shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. And this is God's word. Let's pray. Fathers, we take these next few minutes to sit under the truth of your word. We thank you that your spirit is here to help us to illuminate truth to our hearts And Lord, we thank you for each person you've called in this room, each individual, each couple, each circle of friends. Lord, those of us who've been walking with you for an entire lifetime and are desperate to hear and and, and be nurtured by this truth. And those of us, Lord, who a friend has invited us and we haven't been to church in a long time or ever and we're just asking all kinds of questions about your existence and whether you're even real, Lord. And I thank you that there's grace here, Lord, to explore, to listen, to ask questions. And ultimately, our desire is that we're asking that you would change and transform our lives. So we welcome you here, Lord. That was the, the anthem we were singing earlier, Lord. We're waiting here for you. Lord, stir our hearts. Shape us. 
In Jesus' name, amen. I was sitting in a coffee shop, uh, Curate, just down the street here, great coffee shop in our city. You've probably known this, and maybe some of you saw this this week, is I sat down with a friend, and um, behind my friend was a painting. And I was looking at this painting, and I just kept thinking, that's not right, that's not right. And it was like, well, what, what's not right about the painting? It was crooked. <laughs> like, it was just tilted, like a good inch off. And I'm just like, it's driving me crazy as I'm seeing this. And I'm like, that's not how that painting should be hung. <laughs> Anybody with me here? I mean, it's kind of a funny thing, but there's all these things in life that we just look at and we see and we're like, that's not right. That's not right. That's a funny one. Okay, last night, Katie and I were on a date and we were walking um, back and, and uh, there was this guy who was like pulled into a street and another couple were walking, crossing the street and the guy just started backing up like without seeing them there, almost hit the, the woman who was with this guy. And it was, it was kind of humorous. I mean, it, it wouldn't have really hurt her. I mean, it wasn't like they were going really fast or anything. But it was definitely a frustrating situation for him. And the guy just turns around and, and looks at him. And, go, and the windows are, of course, shut in the car. So the guy can't hear him. He goes, in that moment, it's like, that just wasn't right. Like, they, they should have looked behind them before they backed up, you know? Let me tell you about a few other things that aren't right, okay? This week, I was wrestling with my 10-year-old and 12-year-old son. And forever since they've been born, I've been able to beat them. One against two. I crush them every time. They don't have a chance. This time I'm like, with my 12-year-old, I'm like, you're kind of a man boy here. Like, I don't know how. <laughs> now, good news, I beat them again. I wrestled them both to the ground. Yes, thank you. But I'm telling you, the day is coming soon where that's not going to be the case. And if they threw their big brother in there, they would have taken me. I just have to admit it. Habit a world that we, we see often in funny things like this. The world isn't right. That's not right. But there's also things about our world. The world is riddled with contorted and harmful relationships. And we just look at situations or things and we're like, that is not right. It's not actually funny, is it? It's like, that's not right. Where the strong prey on the weak, it happens in the natural world. But it's no different oftentimes in human relationships. The statistic you may have heard this is thousands of migrant workers, maybe on average one worker a day, died in building the stadiums for the World Cup. I mean, it, it's hard to navigate these things. This is the World Cup. And yet we listen to that statistic and we're like, that's not right. There should have been some things in place so that workers didn't die so, with such frequency. Think about the war in the Ukraine, Russia destroying the Ukraine power grid in, the, in recent weeks, leaving millions without heat in the middle of winter. That's not right. It's not okay. A manager from Walmart, another man enters into a nightclub over the last couple weeks, taking people's lives. We read this in the news, and some of it's easy to become numb to these. We're like, that's not right. That's not how the world ought to be. And then, and then you start to think about your own life, your own personal story. And we think about the, some of our own relationships. And we could just maybe be transparent about this. Real conflict in real time happening this time of the year sometimes surfaces these things in family, friends. Maybe we've, people we've lost. Maybe at work with coworkers, there's conflict, there's, there's power dynamics. We're like, it's just not right. That's not how it ought to be. Some of us just coming over here, driving over here this morning with our spouse or with our friend, like there's a conflict in the car, and like, if we could just be honest about it, like, that wasn't right either, was it? No. 
There's a relational contortion to the world. It's twisted, it's distorted, and it's not right. And, and what this... This is exactly where Israel found herself in the background of this passage. If you've uh, read chapters 9 and 10, you know she's poor, she's been oppressed, she's been cut down like a forest is the metaphor that Isaiah is given. She's like a forest that's been cut down and burned to the ground. And it's here in this moment that the word of the Lord comes to Isaiah in chapter 11. And what, what we find in this passage, what I just read, is we actually get a vision of a world that's made right. A world as it ought to be. A world that's put back into right relationship. And so we're just going to take a few minutes, just explore of this world made right. Okay, there's three things we're going to look at very briefly here. The one who makes the world right. The world actually made right. What does that look like? And then how does he make the world right? The one who makes the world right, the world made right, and how he makes the world right. So first, let's look at the one who makes the world right. Uh, this would be, in this passage, one who comes, as we find in verse 1, a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Now, can anybody remember with me, if you remember your Old Testament, um, for those of you who have been in the church for a while, who is Jesse? David's father. And so this is a way of Isaiah that this person of David, or indeed they are king. And we find the description of this person, this one who makes the world right, is a shoot or a branch that comes out of Jesse that will bear fruit. Now, this is in contrast to the many corrupt Israel, uh, kings of Israel of late who have not made the world right. But in, in, in contrast to that, here is one who's called a branch. This is pulling from, um, you know, passages like Jeremiah 23 and Zechariah 3.8. And even, if, even Jesus will take this language um, into John chapter 15. Early in the church, followers of Jesus uh, took found Jesus in the Old Testament in this way, found the gospel narrative and made this. In fact, even into the Middle Ages, um, this prophecy from chapter 11 of Isaiah, you may have seen images of this, is like this idea of a tree flowing through the ages. It's like a lineage tree out of which from, from whom comes uh, this Messiah, this one, this king who will make the, the world right. Now, what ability does he have to make the world right? Well, we find it in verse 2. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Now, this Messiah king who comes out of this stump is in with power, power that is the very spirit of God. In fact, this connects back to our last study in Revelation where Revelation talks about the seven spirits of God. Well, here are the qualities of the spirit of God. Wisdom, understanding, counsel, strength, knowledge, uh, uh, fear of the Lord, uh, piety. The, these, are, these are historically what we're seen as the endowment of the power of the spirit upon the Messiah. And we know this to be true through other prophecies as well. So he comes as a king. He comes with power, empowered by the very Spirit of the Lord. So he has power to exercise and to make the world right. And one of the key characteristics about the Messiah, about this Messiah, we find in verse 4 and 5. 
say the end of verse 3 and into 4 and 5. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. So in other words, it's very easy for us to make judgments in the world based on our perception or even based on our senses. That's a big thing, right? We, a lot of times we go with what we can sense or measure or see. and We say, that's how you make a good decision. That's how you make a bad decision. And we go with our senses. Some of us just make decisions off of basic principle and theory and ideas, okay? Here's an idea. Let's make, it, make our decisions based on that. It's not necessarily explicit in the text. But what we find in this Messiah is that his decision-making or how he makes the world right or how he judges the world is actually rooted in something else. And we find that in the language of verse 4. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Again, repeating here in verse 5, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. Core to the nature of this Messiah is a rightness, a righteousness. And the way that he makes decisions, the way that he determines judgment, is not based on just what he hears or sees, and not just based on empty ideas or principles. Not that you can't use your senses, not that you can't use ideas or principles, but he is drawing on an objective reality that is outside of what is in this world. It is something that transcends. It is the very nature and character of God. In God, he, God is perfectly righteous. Everything fits and holds together in relationship in the perfect way as it ought to. There is no discrepancy within God's very nature and character. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, dwelling in perfect relationship. He is utterly and absolutely right and righteous. And there is, and this is so contrary, it's hard for us to get our hearts and our minds around this because of all the discrepancy and all the things about our world that just aren't right. The word here in Hebrew is sedek. It means justice. It means rightness. It means righteousness. It means what is right or just or normal. It refers to kind of the weights and measures. It means there's an equality. There, there, everything is in perfect harmony. Everything is in perfect relationship. And, and the description righteousness is his belt. The belt of his waist, okay, the belt is a symbol of vigorous, unimpeded development of strength because in the ancients could run and wrestle their boys and work only when the belt confined, uh, the belt confined their garments and they could actually do what they needed to do. And they could exercise right kind of things in the world. And this is part of what the imagery is here of this one who comes to make the world right. We find that he does two things. He judges. He's making, and, and you might say he judges the poor. Does that mean like he's condemning the poor? No, actually he's bringing justice on the poor. His righteousness, in his righteousness, he will bring justice to the poor. And in his righteousness, he will kill the wicked through the scepter of his mouth. Again, draw imagery that the apostle John will draw on in Revelation that we just studied. And this is the one who makes the world right. This is the picture of the one who shows up in Isaiah chapter 11 to make the world right. One who is a king, 
one who is endowed with the Spirit, one whose very character and nature is righteous. The question is, what is the effect of this righteous Messiah? What does the righteous one do when he comes into the world? And I have to tell you, you look at verse 6 through 9, and this is profound imagery. And we were talking about crocodiles and canoes earlier, okay? Let's just, let's just walk through this here, okay? <clears throat> Verse 6. Here's the effect. Here is the world made right. Okay? Just, just allow yourself to sit in this for a moment, okay? I know we have so many things swirling around this season, but just, just try to get, allow yourself to sit in the imagery here. The lamb and the wolf in verse 6 become roommates, They're friends, the lamb and the wolf. We have an Australian shepherd, okay, not even a wolf. And I know what he would want to do to a lamb. But here in this image of the world made right, the lamb and the wolf is roommate, our roommates. The leopard is befriending a young goat. Okay, it gets even more bizarre. Okay, so we have natural predatorial relationships that are no longer relating to one another in that way. The one who is in power is now all of a sudden friends with the one who is weaker and not taking advantage or consuming. End of verse 6. The ox and the lion and the fattened calf graze together and they're led by a child. Okay, what an interesting group of people. An ox, a lion, and a fattened calf. Verse 7. The cow and the bear shall graze and their young are friends. Verse 7b, the lion will eat straw like the ox. So now all of a sudden we're getting into dietary things, okay? This is not a message on whether the world should be vegetarian or not, okay? But, but there's something about the new creation. There's something about what the Messiah in, uh, you know, um, exercises into the world where there's no more relationship an infant is literally putting their hand in a cobra's den, or in a snake's den, a poisonous snake's den, adder's den. This is a picture of a painting from Edward Hicks from 1833. You may have studied this if you've ever taken an art history course. It's called The Peaceable Kingdom. Have you ever seen this painting? Are you familiar with it? He's juxtaposing a world where natural enemies become friends. And, and you sort of see the imagery. I mean, he's, he's, he he's did a number of paintings around Isaiah chapter 11, and he's rooting um, this painting visually in that passage. But there's even something really amazing happening. Part of what the inspiration of this was, if you look down in the left corner, this is actually a historical moment where William Penn, who was a, a follower of Jesus, a Christian, is actually negotiating a peace between colonists and the Native American population. And so here... You know, this artist, this painter is saying, I've, I'm actually seeing a point in the natural world where the kingdom of God, the new creation of Jesus, of the Messiah, is breaking in, and there's actually reconciliation happening. And this is actually just mirroring and echoing that which is unfolding in Isaiah chapter 11. The world made right is a world of flourishing, it's a world of peace, it's a world of shalom. It's a world that a world that no one will say that's not right. 
Just this last week, I got an email from a friend who shared the story of a couple in our area. And I think it's a profound picture of actually what the world looks like when it is made right. A, a, little, a little sliver of, of, of heaven, as it were, breaking into the earth, according to Jesus' prayer. A little picture of where God's new creation shows up here. Let me just read you this story. My husband and I found out at 12 weeks most babies die have it do not survive very long because of heart and brain problems. Of our, one of our doctors urges to consider an abortion. In fact, more than 75% of babies with this condition are aborted. But we loved our daughter and we believe God created our daughter the way she is for a reason and that ending her life would not be right. Do you hear the language she used? We believe that God would bring good out of this difficult situation. Caroline Elizabeth was born at 7.58 a.m. on Thanksgiving Day and passed into paradise about half of an hour later. God answered our two greatest prayers, which were that we to meet her in person and tell her we love her and that she wouldn't suffer. She was a very beautiful baby. This has been a profound and life-changing experience. We are grateful to know that Caroline is in heaven with Jesus. We're grateful to God for all the wonderful and amazing people that we've met on this journey and for all the love and courage they brought to us. Life is truly a gift from God, and we should try, strive to love and respect the lives of those around us now. Why would a family do this? What would cause the mother to risk her health, the family to absorb their, the cost, the financial cost of this, the emotional cost of this, physical cost of this? You hear that story... And like, wherever you land on whether you think abortion is right or wrong, you are compelled in that story to say, what that family did is a powerful thing. The sacrifice they made, the experience that they had with, this, with their daughter being born, it is right. That was the right thing to do. And this leads us to our last point out of this passage, which is, how does this Messiah make the world right? How does this rightness to the world, happiness in the world, enacted in the world, we might say, how does he make <clears throat> the world right? And we know from the whole Council of Scripture, but we get a clue here in verse 1. In the very first verse, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. He doesn't say from Jesse. He says from the stump of Jesse. Okay. Now, what is he talking about here? Well, he's throwing back to chapter 10 where Israel has been cut down altogether and devastated. And from the most unexpected place, a stump, the human condition, Israel, our utter inability to make the world right ourselves. From this most unexpected place comes one. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7 says it this way. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince 
of peace. He'll make the world right. Of the increase of his government and of the peace, there will be no end on the David and over his kingdom. You hear that? The Messiah who is from the Davidic line. To establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. That's Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. The righteous Messiah comes in flesh. He comes with skin on. And he does the most unexpected thing. You see, if we were to say, if we were to say, let's find a king who's going to put the world right, we would probably look to government powers, we would look to economic powers, to religious powers, we would look in all these different ways to find the greatest leader in the world, someone who actually has power in the eyes of the world to put things right. Wouldn't we? Wouldn't, isn't that how we would choose a messiah? A rescuer? But God doesn't wave his wand, his magic wand from on high, does he? He doesn't stay at a distance. He doesn't do some kind of hocus pocus from far away. He crawls into our skin, inhabits our human condition, and through that very act, he bends the world back, shaped anew. Philippians chapter 2, as many of you know, says it, I think, with such clarity. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That's the world That ought to be. That's a world made right. Let each of you not look to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And here it is. Who who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to the point of death, even death on a cross. The God who lives and dwells in perfect righteousness, in perfect rightness, entered into the fallenness and the depravity of a sin-saturated, impact world. And he becomes contorted himself that we might be and the world might be put back right. He brings justice to the oppressed by becoming oppressed himself on the cross. He offers salvation to a sin-saturated world by taking on our sin himself. And he brings an end, a definitive end to violent world, which one day will be in the new creation, by being unjustly murdered on a cross. And in this act of love, that his rightness or his righteousness is now made available to the world. That is the glory and the beauty and the wonder of the Incarnation. That's the hope we have in the righteous one. Dr. King says this, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. The reason he can say that is because of the incarnation and the ensuing cross of Jesus Christ. Because God has sent his Messiah into the world to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. So as we contemplate this season, the incarnation, As we think about the message of Christmas and we think about the birth of Christ, make no mistake, 
Do not be just seduced into all the hype and the fun. Remember that at the heart and the core of this story is a profound story of hope in the one who came into the world to make the world right. That's the hope that we have in Christ. That's the story of Christmas, as it were. Let's pray. Lord, there's many things in our, um, in our lives this morning, in our lives this week, that just are not right. They're disordered. There's brokenness. And we confess to you that we don't have the power or the strength unto ourselves to change those things. But we know the one who does. And we know what one day the world will be reshaped into. We see a vision of it in Isaiah 11. And so would you stir in our hearts those ways and those places that you're calling us, Lord, to live in light of your righteousness and your rightness. Lord, whether that's in our personal lives and our personal integrity, our character, our godliness, whether that's in how we relate to those around us, our friends, our family, our coworkers, we want to mirror and follow your design that you modeled to us in coming as one who is meek. that, Lord, we would see signs of your kingdom breaking in and in small ways, the beauty and the light of your new creation, Lord, would be a signpost to our watching world and it would bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.